Hi, this is Keith Cutter with EMF Remedy. You are listening to the Reversing Electromagnetic Poisoning podcast. Today, we're going to begin talking about the 800-pound gorilla in the room, the one that cannot be ignored, RF radiation. We're going to talk about who is affected, what is RF, when did we begin to radiate the world with radio frequency radiation, where do we find it, why are we radiating all of life with RF, and how are we causing the most harm with RF? What are the sources that cause the most harm? We're going to have some context along the way, as usual, because information devoid of context is useless in the modern age. And before we conclude for today, we're going to talk about what type of a meter would be appropriate for somebody who is sensitive or somebody who is serious about doing a, a good job of assessing the electromagnetic radiation in this part of the spectrum, the RF spectrum. So let's go ahead and get started. And I would like to begin with a story, a bit of a story anyway. This story actually had its beginning in something written long ago by a fellow named Homer and his initial work was the Iliad, and his second work that's very popular is the Odyssey. The Trojan horse is not mentioned in the Iliad because the war to which that Trojan horse applies was not yet finished, and the Trojan horse was employed near the end of that conflict. So we can learn from other um, people who have written about the Trojan horse. So I may be slaughtering the name. There's something called the Aenid, I believe, A-E-N-E-I-D. And it was written by Virgil, and it is a more complete narrative of the Trojan horse. But let's get on with it. So the Trojan horse, people are probably familiar with the gist of this story. It was a huge wooden horse. It was left on a beach. It contained 30 of the greatest warriors inside and two spies. Uh, 30 inside were in the bowels of the horse and the two spies were located in the head of the horse. So this gives you some idea of how large this Trojan horse was. And it was left on the beach, um, and apparently the Greek army had retreated, left behind one man to tell the story, and the fortified city of Troy, who had been under siege for 10 years. And I do want you to think about what it would be like to be under siege for 10 years. In those times, long ago, when fresh water and sanitation had different delivery mechanisms, imagine not having fresh food, for example, for 10 years, if such a thing were possible. Any livestock that they had would have required feeding and tending, and well, I think you can imagine some of the details, but... The siege was released, the horse was left, and it is said that the men of Troy then went down and immediately determined a way to move this enormous horse into the walled city. It was viewed as something very desirable for them to have. We don't have time to get into the reasons why, but a priority was established to get that thing into the walled city quickly. And can you imagine that? After all, uh, you know, if nothing else, you can imagine the people in the city might enjoy bathing in the sea for the first time in 10 years. But no, they established as a priority to get this horse while they were 
uh, doing other things as well. But get this horse, put it in the wall city. And that very night, the spies came out. The legendary warriors inside came out. The door was opened. The Greek army had not indeed left entirely, but they came back. They were able to get into the city, and the result was the complete and utter destruction of this city that had withstood such a long siege. So that's the story I want to begin with. We'll talk about it later. But I want to get into now the who, what, when, where, why, and how of RF radiation Who is affected by RF radiation? I think that's a good question to begin with. And the answer is all life. All life that is illuminated by RF radiation seems to be affected. And there is plenty of research that we can talk about in the future. People listening to this are probably more interested in how, what the effects are on people, I think an excellent source for that information is by something called the Bio Initiative. And if you're able to access the internet on bioinitiative.org, there is comprehensive information there about all of the physiological effects on humans that have been uncovered by the scant dollars that have been pulled together in order to study this effect. So who is affected? I would say every living thing. I think I can support that claim. And if you're interested in uh, the effects on people, check out the Bio Initiative for a good understanding there. If you are not able to access the internet, I can recommend a book, The Invisible Rainbow by Arthur Furstenberg. It's not the only book. There are many other books, but it is a very comprehensive telling of that part of the story. So let's move on. What is RF radiation? Well, RF radiation is man-made, as are the electric fields, magnetic fields, and dirty electricity that we've studied so far. It's man-made electromagnetic radiation transmitted wirelessly at frequencies above 60 hertz. Now, my colleagues, certain of my colleagues will take issue with my definition and they'll say, well, above 60 hertz, you know, it needs to be more specific. And the ham radio operators in the crowd will say, well, shouldn't that begin at HF and, you know, VHF and UHF and that kind of a discussion. But no, I would argue that if you read Becker's book, The Body Electric, one of the things that he was involved in is uh, evaluation of the safety of uh, 50 hertz, so even below 60 hertz, system of messaging around the world, through the world, through the oceans, and to submarines. So if anything, I think I'm being a little bit conservative in in saying that RF for our purposes in this discussion is going to begin with wireless radiation at frequencies above 60 hertz. So RF stands for radio frequency radiation, radio frequency like you think of AM, FM radio, it is the frequencies that enable that type and many other types of moving information, including music and speech and whatnot, through the air to be received at another location. So that is what RF stands for. It's primarily a basis for wireless communication. So, for example, AM, FM, Television, shortwave, marine, police, fire, EMS, commercial radio, military, cell phones, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and much more. And I say primarily because it's not all about wireless communication. One of the worst offenders ever, and it is, it's really a problem in some areas, is radar. That has 
little to do with communication and more about uh, surveying the surrounding landscape and the sky for objects that might be there. But that has the capability to rocket right through conventional building materials, depending on the frequency that the radar is operating on and the intensity. And it can cause quite a mess, um, quite a challenge for uh, people who are in the area being exposed to radar. So that is an example of something that is not communication-based. I'll give you one other example that is not communication-based. And that is the microwave oven. So you'll sometimes hear RF radiation, the term RF radiation and microwave radiation used synonymously. And microwave in this context means micro small. It means a small wave. But that's not very descriptive because, you know, the waves that we've been talking about so far centered around the power system, which is 60 hertz, the length of one wave at 60 hertz is 4,996,542 meters. That is approximately 5,000 kilometers. That's the length of one wave at 60 hertz. And we can contrast that with what's being implemented now with 5G, where the length of the waves are in uh, millimeters. So a huge difference between, well, where do you start calling things small waves? So microwave ovens Again, they don't have anything to do with communication, but they're a horrible source of exposure for humans. Notably, some countries opted out for a long time and said, no, we are not going to allow our citizens to be exposed to microwave radiation. The reason, of course, is because, and this will become a, a theme as we move forward with this podcast, no shielding is perfect. So inside of a microwave oven, you have a high source of RF radiation. And, you know, the thought is that there's this perfect shielding there on the microwave. And when you put the food inside and you close the door, that all the badness, all the microwaves are staying inside cooking the meat. And none of it is cooking you. And that really couldn't be further from the truth. Based on my experience, when I go into homes and... I might ask people to turn on their microwave oven if they still, in fact, use it. Many people are aware of the problem with microwaves, and they've given them up entirely. They've turned them off. They've, got, they've gotten rid of them. Or, as we did, we started using it to store coffee and tea in, and, of course, we never turned it on. But back to in-home assessments, which is what my business, EMF Remedy, one of the things that it does when we go into somebody's home, we turn on their microwave oven, and it very often fills the house with RF radiation. So, RF radiation, primarily the basis for wireless communication, and that's what's really polluting the world these days, but don't miss the radar and don't miss the microwave ovens. Let me give you a simple example. We're going to take a short break from the who, what, when, where, why. And I'm going to give you a simple example. So in this room with me right now is a device. It's not very big. It's uh, something I could easily hold in one hand. And it's a speaker. And it's meant to be a wireless speaker. Of course, there's no way in the world I would use it as a wireless speaker. But it produces nice sound and I like music um, as does my wife and so I can take any audio source that I want if I have a CD player I can plug it in safely using a cable in the back of this powered speaker uh, the speaker doesn't need to be plugged in it has a rechargeable battery in it and then I can have my little 
CD player and plug it into this. I can carry it anywhere in the house that I want or even outside and I can enjoy music. Now I can do the same thing with uh, MP3 files. Many people will choose their so-called smartphone as their MP3 player. If you'd rather not use such a device or own one, um, there are MP3 players that can be had for not much money. You can put your catalog of music on there and safely plug that device in if you disable all the wireless functions and enjoy your music. The other thing that you can do, and I think most people, I don't know, would it be 99% of people? I don't know. Most people certainly would follow the usage model where they would place the speaker wherever they want it and they would put the device that they want to play the music anywhere they want, and they would not bother with a cable connecting the two, and then they would enable the wireless communication on the speaker and enable the wireless communication on their smartphone, if you will. And what would happen at that point, even before the initiation of the music, is a dialogue would begin, a continuous, unceasing dialogue between the speaker and the phone, each of them blasting their ability to uh, begin transferring data. And you would be showering the room that you're in, yourself, your loved ones, with this new type of radiation that we're speaking of, this RF radiation. And it wouldn't end. It would go 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When you turn on the music and you begin playing the music, the radiation would increase, but there could be radiation going on from both devices the whole time they're ready to play wirelessly. So that is a solid example of what we're talking about. What is RF uh, radio frequency radiation? I said it's primarily for wireless communication. In this case, I've given you an example of communication between a music player and the speaker that's going to make the noise. Very simple to make a device like this safe to use, as long as, with like with my device, I can just turn off the wireless features, and they offer both Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. And of course, I have them both switched off. If I were to use a smartphone, I would make sure that as my MP3 player, I would make sure that all of the three transmitters were turned off, which is the transmitter speaking to the tower, the Wi-Fi, and the Bluetooth. And then once I had done that, I could safely connect the two devices and enjoy my music. And by the way, let me just take a moment to, you know, it is that simple to remediate some of these things in your local environment, the things around you. We're going to talk about this much more when we get into discussing remediation in the future. But very often the things that are closest to us are the greatest source of radiation intensity. So it can be that simple to get rid of a whole bunch of radiation in your area. Don't use the wireless feature. Just plug it in with a cable. Using a wired connection, you connect a cord between the player and the speaker. No wireless radiation. So, you can do the same thing, by the way, with a computer that you want to connect to the internet. Now, I know some of the people listening to this podcast would never use a computer. They wouldn't think of it. Others may be at some place else in their journey, and they're still using and they may have to quit for a little while, but others may be able to, to begin again. And so let me suggest a better way to use a computer would be to connect the computer directly to your router with a wire. You don't need Wi-Fi to access the Internet. Let me say that again. You do not need Wi-Fi to connect to the internet. 
And for anyone who cares about the radiation exposure of their loved ones or themselves, probably should not be using wireless radiation in their home. Simply connect with a wire from the computer to the router. You have no EMF. The same can be said for wireless headphones. Don't use wireless headphones. Use the kind of headphones that have a wire. Connect those headphones to the device that you want to hear the music from. Otherwise, you're going to have a continuous source of radiation strapped to your head, whether the music is going or not. And what I said a little while ago is the devices that are closest to us can often constitute the greatest intensity of exposure. So maybe a very good idea to take the wireless headphones off your head. The same can be said with things like a baby monitor. So sure, you want to look in on the baby. You want to know how the baby is doing and and make sure the baby isn't fussing. You know, if you have no monitor at all, you can just be attentive to the baby um, and go and check occasionally or put the baby in your room when it's small and things like that don't cost any money. If you want to have a monitor, you can have a monitor. You can have a monitor for sound. You can have a monitor that has a video capability, but you want one that will work in a wired fashion. So you simply have a wire run through the walls of your house when you're building it, or you can retrofit it. Any electrician would be able to provide that surface. Just tell them you want low voltage wiring installed in your home and they'll be right out. So that would make, you know, your baby monitor safe rather than see the transmitter is right next to the baby, right? And those things are a continuous source of radiation the whole time they're powered on constantly showering your baby with radiation. So um, if that's not your desire for your baby, maybe look at a wired baby monitor or the other solution that we mentioned. Okay, the same thing can be said for a doorbell. Rather than a wireless doorbell, you have a wired doorbell. It's cheap, it's easy, A security camera, you want a security camera on your front door? No problem. Make sure it's a wired security camera. Thermostat, telephone. You know, for decades we use telephones very safely uh, with wires. We'll talk about that more when we get to the area of remediation that I mentioned before. Today we're really trying to lay the groundwork, so helping people understand what is radiofrequency radiation. And the point I'm making here is if you follow the status quo, if you follow the usage model that's being promoted in our society, then your access to your wireless speaker, to the internet, to, you know, headphones, baby monitors, doorbells, security cameras, thermostats, telephones, It's all going to be an increase in your personal exposure to RF radiation. And if we're talking about in your home, it's going to be an increase in the radiation exposure of your loved ones. All right, let's move forward. When was RF introduced into the environment? This would have been the early 20th century when radio broadcasting became common. And then later in the 40s, television broadcasting and other communications. So police began to use wireless bands. Military actually began to use um, wireless with the First World War. So this was really the period of time in which radio frequency radiation was introduced to the environment. Now, the things that I've just mentioned are a pittance. They're a drop in the bucket compared to where we are today. Uh, 
So the real explosion of growth began in World War II with radar. And we've already mentioned that. It was a it was a, an ability to have a ground station and then describe an arc of a circle around that ground station of many miles and be able to have a reflection of the RF radiation back towards the receiving equipment, say, at an airport, and you'd be able to see objects in the air, be able to determine their um, relative direction and their velocity. So that had explosive growth in the period around World War II. Subsequently, we began the Cold War, and we began radiating huge parts of our borders and huge expanses around airports, and now we're radiating large parts of the country for the purpose of weather. So that's explosive use of radar. It really began in World War II, really accelerated during the Cold War. The use of military satellites was the first bombardment from space that we had of RF, uh, man-made RF frequencies. And then, of course, the biggie, which happened in the 80s, which was the advent of the cell phone. The idea with the cell phone is you have to have a tower, and it has to be uh, strong enough, which is to say emit radiation of sufficient intensity that a small device that you would carry with you would be able to receive what was being broadcast from that antenna And then the small device you're carrying with you would have such an intensity of radiation that it could make it all the way back to that tower. And if you think about what's involved in that, you realize very quickly that these devices, there's no reason to believe they're safe at all. (laughs) Really, we're radiating the entire um, countryside and indeed the, the entire world with the cell phone signals, and then the devices some people carry in their pockets and their purses um, cannot be made safe if, if they're going to function um, in getting back to the, the tower from, from whence the communication came. So that has been a huge, um, a huge growth of RF radiation. Um, there's a book recently written called Wi-Fi Refugees, and in it the author talked about her impression that if you look at the Wi-Fi uh, coverage maps is what they're called by the different Wi-Fi, uh, excuse me, cell phone. Uh, we're talking about cell phone providers. So the various wireless providers of cell phone service in America and in North America, you look at those coverage maps and you see these, it, it looks like from the author's opinion, a plague map little red squares all over. And indeed, we have put um, an almost an unimaginable infrastructure in place to support the use of cell phones. So that has really uh, increased the exposure to this most, perhaps most unnatural type of man-made radiation. And then, of course, in the 90s, we began with Bluetooth, uh, excuse me, with Wi-Fi, and then uh, with Bluetooth after that, providing that wireless capability. And um, people began putting Wi-Fi routers in their own homes. And the Wi-Fi router, um, it doesn't respect any property uh, boundaries. And Wi-Fi is probably the, the bigger of those two of course, in terms of exposing others. Um, Bluetooth is very concerning, though, because they're they're putting it in hearing aids. So now this will be the third time I've mentioned, but the proximity is really key when you're looking at your actual intensity of exposure. So even though Bluetooth is advertised as being very low intensity of radiation, it's intense enough to reach the devices that it's talking to. And if you put that thing in your ear, in the case of a hearing aid, you're actually um, generating radiation inside of your head. 
Um, and if you are using them as wireless uh, uh, headset, wireless headphones, you're doing practically the same thing. So I'm concerned about Bluetooth for for that reason. Bluetooth doesn't cause as much of a problem for neighbors uh, as Wi-Fi does. So Wi-Fi is the biggest, bigger environmental concern, I would say. And we've already talked about there's no need to have Wi-Fi to be connected to the internet. So really all it offers you is the ability to have connectivity with your laptop computer when you're in the bathroom or when you're, I don't know, when you're in your laundry room. But how many people use their laptop computer while they're in the bathroom or in their laundry room? And are they willing to pay the price? That's going to be a common theme. Are you willing to pay the price of 24 hour a day, seven days a week, exposure to RF radiation for the sake of being able to access the internet from every square foot within your home? Or, as is the case for most people, do you really only use your computer one or two places in your in your home? In which case, it would be easy to do it uh, from a wired device. So, explosion of growth was uh, radar, then satellites, then cell phones, undoubtedly being the worst um, impact on not only humanity, but all life in America and indeed the world. Um, but then also Wi-Fi, a very significant um, contributor, especially if you're living in a densely populated area, you definitely gonna, you're definitely going to be affected by uh, Wi-Fi from all of your neighbors. So where do we find RF radiation? Every place on Earth with highest exposures as a function of population density. And you can imagine the reason for that is where there are more people, there are more cell phone towers. And where there are more people, there are more indiscriminate users of Wi-Fi. And more people wanting to use wireless devices. So... Unfortunately, because we all need community, I say unfortunately, and we should be connecting with our our fellow man, and we desire to do that, but unfortunately, right now, your radiation exposure is a function of population density in your local area. That really has a bearing, too, by the way, when you are looking for a safe place to live as a person who doesn't want to be radiated or doesn't want to radiate their children when they're growing um, up. So that is where you will find the most RF radiation in general. Now, if you're out in the middle of nowhere and you see a funny-looking horn-shaped device out in the middle of the desert, which I would know to be a terrestrial radar relay station and these things are all over the united states you really don't want to live um in the beam of that thing and the beam of that thing could last for miles and miles and miles so there are exceptions you know you really have to to be adept at verifying the safety of a device uh excuse me a location before you spend time there And I know I've mentioned that more than once now on this podcast, but um, people who are the true refugees, my belief is they need to have enough knowledge um, and training that they're able to do a thorough assessment of someplace that they're going to spend time. I think they'll be much happier if they do that. The next W is why. So why are we radiating ourselves with RF radiation. You know, I told my story in episode number one, but when you spend literally years in the dark because you can't even endure exposure to 
uh, electricity in the home, never mind Wi-Fi, radiation, dirty electricity, and magnetic fields, you have a lot of time to think. And I, here's what I've come up with, and I would really love to hear from people. By the way, anyone who wants to contact me, you can do so via the contact form at emfremedy.com. Um, emfremedies, R-E-M-E-D-Y dot com. The reason we are radiating ourselves and all life with RF radiation are these three things. Convenience, amusement, and stimulation. Like I say, if, if anybody else has applied some thought to this, particularly you refugees, I would love to hear from you. Contact me through the form on EMF Remedy. Um, that'd be great. I'd love to hear from you. But yeah, we're, rating our, we're radiating ourselves with RF radiation for the sake of convenience, for the sake of amusement, and for the sake of stimulation. Okay, we're done with the W's. I want to talk about how we are we causing the most harm with RF radiation. And I alluded to this earlier. Um, the top offenders in my experience as I go about um, the inland Northwest and I do evaluations in people's home, the top offenders are, in my opinion, cell phones and the infrastructure that supports the cell phones. Interesting. I mean, if you're near a cell phone tower, um, yeah, that's your your exposure is going to be off the chart. There'll be little, little you can do about that situation. Uh, however, if you are not near a tower, maybe you can see it one in the distance, then your cell phone itself, if you have one, is going to be a cause of greater intensity of radiation than the distant cell phone tower. And if you have the Wi-Fi function turned on and the Bluetooth function turned on, between that and the cell phone that you have ceaselessly contacting the tower, the local tower, to see if there's any you know messages for me kind of thing, uh, you'll be in a cloud of constant radiation, not only on your person, uh, but in the room that you're in, and even uh, extending into the rest of your dwelling. So cell phones, Wi-Fi, huge offender. Wi-Fi is a huge offender, particularly near other people. Radar, um, boy, there is no hiding from radar. There are mitigation strategies um, that can reduce, but spoiler alert, no shielding is perfect. So one day we're going to have to talk about what is a reasonable exposure to which types of radiation and how you might be able to achieve that or not, depending on where you're living and what the environmental exposures are in the, in the area. Smart meters, huge offender. Um, it is as though somebody took a weapon system and, and attached them to all the houses on the grid. <laughs> you know, that's how you have to view it as a person who has been affected by electromagnetic radiation, um, RF radiation, above all other types, is not your friend. When you have become or you are becoming uh, a refugee, an EMF refugee, a Wi-Fi refugee, the last thing you can tolerate is that intensity of radiation that comes from a smart meter. So... Um, they're literally making it so that you can't have your electricity without your radiation exposure, at least in the state in which I live. Um, in the formerly great state of Idaho, um, you can't have electric power from the grid without radiation exposure. And since no shielding strategy is perfect, you're always going to be dealing with a, a uh, residual. And the last one, 
you know, how are we causing the most harm with Wi-Fi radiation? I would say the last one is Bluetooth. It's a more personal exposure, but boy, that intensity can be really up there if it's sitting there on your wrist or if it's on something you're wearing or um, in your ears or on your ears. I am going to take a few minutes. I'm going to talk about technical details. If you don't like technical details, just hang on. Just do some deep breathing exercises. <laughs> we'll get through this quickly. But I've really held off in getting into a lot of technical details so far. And we've, we've really been talking about all <clears throat> four of the major types of man-made radiation. And we haven't talked too much technology. So bear with me for a few minutes here. I want to talk about, first of all, spectrum. So there is a spectrum of electromagnetic radiation, and there is a natural spectrum. It's one God created when he created the heavens and the earth. He spoke this place into being, and the types of radiation that we see in the environment come from two places, really. One is the sun itself, and the majority of the radiation that comes from the sun is in the visible light spectrum. However, there are some emissions above and below the visible spectrum called, respectively, ultraviolet radiation and infrared radiation um, that have considerable amounts of power um, from the sun. There's some residual beyond, um, meaning above ultraviolet, and there is some below infrared, but the type of radiation is fundamentally different than the man-made radiation. Um, it is in every way um, different except for the, the frequency. So that's what's part of nature uh, from the sun. Uh, by the way, the, the greatest um, delivery of radiation from the sun is in the infrared and the red part of the spectrum. So that may be a hint for us later with regard to health and uh, well-being. The other natural radiation that we see is from the earth and the earth actually has a dominant frequency and we've talked about it before. It's called the Schumann resonance. You go from the earth itself, the dominant frequency there is 7.83 and then you get into light and it's, we're talking about uh, trillions or quintillions of uh, Hertz or cycles per second. So that is what's natural. That is what is from nature and then man began introducing electromagnetic radiation into the picture. We began with our discussion on 60 hertz power here in North America, 50 hertz in the majority of the rest of the world. That's fairly low frequency. It's not that far from the Schumann resonance of the Earth. But, you know, we move from 60 hertz to, say, 600 million hertz and that's where cell phone frequencies begin the upper end of that 600 million hertz also called 600 megahertz so in that range between power at 60 and the cell phones beginning at 600 million between those two we have am radio fm television shortwave marine police fire ems that's kind of what spectrum looks like. Above 600 megahertz, we have more cell cellular frequencies. We have Wi-Fi at 2.4 gigahertz. We have Wi-Fi at 5 gigahertz and above. And we already discussed microwave ovens. Um, coincidentally, microwave ovens transmit at the same frequency range as Wi-Fi. That's a coincidence. 5G is laying claim to RF radiation above 8 gigahertz. So there are plans, and plans are already being implemented in the major cities 
for what's called the high band of 5G, where they're, they're going to be transmitting at 39 billion hertz and beyond. So quite a big range. And that's what I mean by spectrum. You, you're talking about man-made transmissions at 60 hertz, you know, associated with the power grid, and then up to this 39 billion um, hertz and beyond. There is a relationship between wavelength and frequency. So, for example, wavelength is referred to as the spatial period of a periodic wave. And another way of saying that is, is, is the distance over which the wave length repeats itself. So you can measure from peak to peak or trough to trough or zero point ascending to zero point ascending or descending to descending. It's all the same thing. If you trace out the form of a wave and you measure that, the length of that wave, um, that is we, what we mean when we say wavelength. So the relationship that exists is that wavelength is inversely proportional to frequency. And really, all you need to know about that is that the higher the frequency, the shorter the wavelength. So I've already mentioned the wavelength of a 60 hertz signal, which is what emanates from all of our electric system, all the way up to our electric cords in our home and through the walls of an ordinary home. The wavelength being produced there is uh, five, oh, really close to five million meters, so like 5,000 kilometers. Whereas the, the high band that we just talked about with 5G, you're talking about the length of those waves. They're not 5,000 kilometers long. They're measured in millimeters. Now, the energy of each wave length can be uh, considered to be a discrete packet of energy. So, therefore, the higher the frequency delivers more of those packets per period of time. So we've just talked about very long wavelengths and very short wavelengths. If we assume a fixed amplitude then the energy is proportional to the frequency. And it's inversely proportional to wavelength. So, the higher you go in frequency, the much more energetic the waves are. So, I think of getting more energy from man-made radiation in my life as an undesirable thing. So I've got a question here. My question is, you know, the, the motivation for rolling out 5G before testing, any kind of testing on whether it's safe, the, the rationale from the head of the FCC was faster movie downloads. So the question is, is it, is it worth radiating people and other living things with radiation at that frequency, given an understanding of the relationship between um, energy and frequency. Speaking of questions, I have I have a I have another thought anyway that I want to share. Does anyone has anyone ever heard the term an Englishman's home is his castle? That is the wording of a proverb that is traced to the late 1500s in England. And it entered into English law in the 1600s. That sentiment eventually made its way to America in the late 1600s. And it was changed in America from an Englishman's home is his castle. It was changed to a man's home is his castle. 
And that notion was eventually reflected in the Bill of Rights. We were supposedly given the right to be secure in our person. So the thing I've mentioned about RF radiation is it doesn't respect that right. If your neighbor has Wi-Fi, it's probably going to, and he's close enough, go right through the walls of his structure, right through the walls of your structure, and into your living space. And if you're living in a high-density area and you have neighbors above and below, and on the right and the left and the front and the back, you're going to see all of that as radiation exposure in your home. Why do I mention this? Do you remember in the last episode when I told you about the great experiments that were done in America, in North America, in the entire world? And the great experiments were, as I named them in those broadcasts, living in a box 1.0 and living in a box 2.0. And what I was talking about, of course, was these boxes we call houses, we energized them with a form of electromagnetic radiation, which emanated through electric fields and magnetic fields into homes. And the result, as I mentioned, reflected in Samuel Milham, Dr. Samuel Milham's book, was um, a dramatic increase in all the diseases of civilization in the cities that were electrified when viewed against cities that the homes had not been electrified. So we talked about that in some detail. And that, of course, was the result of being exposed to the electric fields and the magnetic fields, and we paid a heavy price. Dr. Milham mentions the price of childhood leukemia um, in his book and his, his personal experience with that. And of course, there are many more. So that was uh, the experiment of living in the box 1.0. Obvious correlation of dramatic increase in the diseases of modern civilization as we electrified the homes. And living in the box 2.0, the experiment there was if we introduced frequencies that had never existed on the wiring with an understanding that those wires are really nothing more than antennas, surrounding us in our walls of our home, the phenomenon of dirty electricity. That was a new experiment in um, effects on human physiology. Unfortunately, with that one, there, there was no more control group. So we couldn't compare cities that had yet, you know, of the same population size and demographic factors that hadn't yet been electrified, we couldn't compare those with the ones that had. Uh, We couldn't do anything like that with, you know, the sort of virtual experiment living in a box 2.0 that began with uh, really the computer age and the nonlinear power supplies and whatnot. So we talked about that in the last uh, podcast. We have covered enough so far in what we've discussed today to introduce to you the idea of uh, living in a box 3.0. And what we're adding, of course, is in addition to the magnetic fields, in addition to the electric fields, in addition to the dirty electricity, um, none of which have shown to be good things. And we have enough correlation and enough um, experimentation to show that there's probably a great concern uh, warranted in, in all of these things and a heavy price that we've paid thus far, knowing that wireless cell phones, Wi-Fi, radar, smart meters, community-wide Wi-Fi, smart appliances, and all the self-generated RF people do in their own homes, we are in a brand new experiment unprecedented in human history and we have no controls because all of these things that I've mentioned are being rolled out um, seemingly everywhere. 
So we are moving towards a close. I want to make some closing comments. I want to reflect back to how we began this broadcast. I'm going to talk about meters, and then we'll go ahead and end this podcast. Given all of this, and we've just scratched the surface of what is RF, what is it now? Now that you've listened to all of this, particularly the reckless way that that it's been introduced into our environment as an environmental toxin, really, what is it? I would say RF radiation is the second-hand smoke of the 21st century. The effects of RF, in fact, on living things are indistinguishable, really, from a weapon of mass destruction. I'm not saying that it is. I'm just saying that the effects are indistinguishable from if it were. I believe RF is the Trojan horse of this age. This horse has three names. Convenience, amusement, and stimulation. Most people find her irresistible. Do you? Can you live with what's inside of that horse? What offers that convenience of wireless communication, the amusement of checking your messages and your thumbs ups and your whatever, the stimulation of, um, oh, I got a, you know, uh, LOL from my best friend. Can you live with, with the radiation exposure? Should we all be living with the radiation exposure that's required for that? Are faster downloads of movies to cell phones really worth that? Finally, I want to talk about meters. So we talked about meters with magnetic fields, electric fields, dirty electricity. I'll repeat my thought that um, the true refugees need to be able to assess their environment. And they're going to need some help with the skills necessary to do a proper assessment and I am willing to do that. I want to do that. You know my story. I was almost killed by this stuff. And um, I had to learn. And I eventually started a business around helping people to understand the radiation in their environment, to quantify that, to remediate it, to build structures that have enduring countermeasures against these types of radiation. So I would really like to help, but I want to I want to encourage people who are in that situation. You are a refugee or you're becoming a refugee. You're being forced out of your work. You're being forced out of your places of worship. You're being forced out of your community uh, with others because of electromagnetic radiation exposure. And I'd like to I'd like to encourage you to be able to see what cannot otherwise be seen, which is what a EMF meter does. I will repeat what I've said in previous podcasts. All-in-one devices are worthless, absolutely without value for um, people who want to make a serious assessment. Not, you know, you, you can't have low price and great accuracy. They just, they don't coincide. You can't have one device that does everything. It, it's a nice thought, but we don't see that reflected in any other areas and certainly not in EMF assessment remediation. So no one RF meter will cover the entire RF spectrum. That's part of the reason that I wanted to talk technical about the spectrum to give you an idea of how vast that spectrum is. We talked about the space between 60 hertz and 600 million hertz, and that containing all of AM, FM, TV, shortwave, marine, 
police, fire, EMS, and the beginning of cell phone frequencies. We talked about what's above that, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and um, 5G um, low band and 5G mid band takes us all the way up to 8 billion hertz. There's no way to measure that entire um, part of the spectrum with any accuracy at all. I don't know of any meter that will do that. The best consumer-grade RF meter, uh, in my opinion, at this time is one called the Safe and Sound Pro. It's available from Safe Living Technologies. And like I just said, it, it isn't perfect. You're not going to get a complete view of everything from uh, above six, just above 60 hertz to you know, the top of the mid-range, mid-band for 5G, not possible. So the frequency range on the Safe and Sound Pro measures between 400 megahertz and 8 gigahertz. So 400 million hertz and 8 billion hertz. It is, I would consider it a good choice, good coverage for Wi-Fi, all Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, all Bluetooth, cell phones, all commonly used cell phones with the exception of the large metropolitan areas that are using the high band on 5G and radar. Where are its weaknesses? Its weaknesses are in the low end. If you have a ham radio operator in the area, it's not going to pick up his transmissions on uh, what they call the HF band. It isn't going to pick up even an FM radio station uh, that could be broadcasting right through your home. And it won't pick up aviation. You know, if you have a localizer at your nearby airport and that's there to help planes land when they don't have adequate visibility, it's not going to see that. Um, You're going to miss all the public safety, uh, at least in the VHF band, So police, fire, EMS. So if you've got a local dispatch station, that could be a problem. That having been said, it is a pretty darn good meter. It has um, a sound capability. It has lights if you'd rather not look at numbers. It allows you to capture the maximum uh, radiation in any period of time, and then you can reset that just by pushing a button. Um, So I I think it's great for... It's the best um, price performance that I'm aware of for a a consumer-grade meter. And I think they run just under $400, if I remember correctly. For comparison, if you wanted to be a professional or you wanted to help other people, uh, not one but two meters, to get good coverage, it starts at 27 megahertz which would capture all of that public safety infrastructure, all of the aviation infrastructure that I talked about. It would capture all of the FM broadcasting and cover all the way up to 10 billion hertz. So that set of meters, and you would need two, not one, and it would cost $3,000, I think would be the current price. So... Accurate meters, and when I say an accurate meter, by the way, what I'm talking about is something that can be uh, calibrated. And the consumer-grade one that I mentioned can't be, but the professional meters can. I'm not proposing that um, people who are refugees or feel they're becoming refugees because of EMF should consider the professional-level RF meters I think a safe and sound pro is a good choice. So that's my that's my current recommendation. Things are changing quickly. Inevitably, one day somebody's going to come up with a meter that will be able to discern the the higher bands on five G. That hasn't happened yet, in my opinion, in any kind of a credible way with any type of accuracy. But um, it is potentially just around the corner. So. 
I will try to keep folks updated on this podcast. If you do decide to order that Safe and Sound Pro, it's available through Safe Living Technologies. You can have an additional 5% discount on checkout if you enter the code REMEDY5, R-E-M-E-D-Y-5. So I hope that's helpful. Now, we have laid the groundwork, the foundation for being able to now begin some robust discussions on doing evaluations for the places where you um, intend to spend time or inhabit for uh, performing certain types of remediation. So we have a lot of wonderful things that we can talk about from here on out, and I am really looking forward to it. And the next podcast, I want to take you through how you can do things within your current living space that don't require any meters at all. Spoiler alert, you'll be able to do a much better job with the meters. But if you can't afford meters of any kind right now, I promised in an earlier broadcast that I wanted to do something for you where we look at things that you can do in your current living situation to reduce your exposure to all the types of man-made radiation that we have just discussed. So in our next uh, podcast, I don't know if we'll be able to get it all in one podcast, but we'll at least begin it next time. I'm really looking forward to that. And regardless of whether you have meters or don't have meters, um, it is going to be a great exposure to the fundamentals of remediation. How do you get a lower exposure to these sources of radiation, some of which you can't get rid of entirely? And that's going to be the substance of what we're talking to ne- talking about next. I thank you for spending some time with us. I look forward to the next podcast. And this again is Keith Cutter with EMF Remedy. You have been listening to the Reversing Electromagnetic Poisoning podcast. See you next time.